Hello, Cachimbonas. I am very excited to be bringing you the third episode of season five of Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast that is audio archiving state repression and migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands. This is the place where you can get all the relevant leftist law and politics that are happening here in Arizona and are relevant to the rest of the country as well. On this episode, I interviewed Eloisa Lopez, who is the executive director of Pro-Choice Arizona, about Governor Ducey joining an amicus brief asking SCOTUS to overturn Roe v. Wade and the sweeping anti-abortion bill passed by the Arizona legislature this past spring. Eloisa breaks down the contradictions of the GOP anti-abortion agenda, criticizes the current barriers to abortion care in Arizona, and expresses worry over SCOTUS restricting reproductive autonomy. We recorded this episode before SCOTUS did all the mess in taking on Texas's anti-abortion bill and then also refusing to stay it, so refusing to order a stop to it, and as such has essentially nullified the right to abortion in Texas. So that's why we don't mention it, but trust we are very much aware and worried about that situation. So I hope that you all enjoy this episode. For the listeners who are dedicated and are extremely happy whenever they see a new episode on their feed, please, please, please leave a Apple rating podcast or review or a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. It really helps with visibility and just helps me get a better understanding of what content you all are look uh looking for what you appreciate about the podcast so that i can continue uh, giving you all what what you want to hear i hope that you all enjoy this episode and you can also follow at radio Cachimona on twitter instagram and facebook in the realm of personal news i do have news that i would like to share with the Cachimbona listeners and I, this is actually a very special announcement because the longtime listeners know that I have struggled practicing law and haven't enjoyed it and have long wanted to delve into media full time. I've always taken this podcast seriously as a rigorous journalistic endeavor and it's paid off because I have officially left the practice of law and I'm transitioning into the media full time. I am now the staff writer for Boston Strikes, which is a progressive outlet that's dedicated to bullshit free critical coverage of SCOTUS and the judiciary. So, as a result of that, you can also follow my personal page on Twitter at Yvette Borja AZ, where I'll be posting my articles and my musings. The Radio Cachimbona Twitter will now be exclusively about podcast-related information and updates, so do please continue following that. And yeah, okay, now for real, I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Wait, sorry, no, my the last thing that I wanted to say is that the reading and review, sharing with your friends, elevating on social media is an amazing way to support the podcast, but another very amazing way to support the podcast is to donate to the Patreon. Donating to the Patreon, you get exclusive access to the new lit reviews and early access to episodes like these. So if you want to become a VIP member of the Kachibona community <laughs> and kind of be in these conversations earlier, 
then and also you know have access to stuff like q a's and live streams and just be part of a, a little kachimona community then please go to patreon.com slash radio kachimona to support the podcast okay seriously for real now y'all can enjoy the episode Today, I am very excited to talk about a very important topic with Eloisa Lopez, who is the executive director of Pro Choice Arizona, pronouns are she and Aya. And we're going to be talking today about Arizona Governor DC's disappointing decision to join a SCOTUS amicus brief asking the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. And we're just kind of generally going to talk about the ways that reproductive rights and justice are under attack. But before we get into it, Luisa, I just want to say thank you for coming out to the podcast and ask how you're doing today. Yes, thank you so much for hosting Yvette and for asking me to to be here today. Um, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm surviving this Monday. <laughs> I think this is yeah. actually a pretty nice way to start my work week, though, because this is such an important yes. issue. So let's just get into it. Do you see any others who, because so, there was other governors who joined as well, to the Supreme Court supporting Alabama's arguments claim that the 14th Amendment doesn't include the right to abortion and that Roe and Casey upset the balance between the federal government and the states? What would you say in response to that? Well, first of all, I think Governor Ducey should not be trying to strip Arizonans of their fundamental right to access abortion care. Um, in Arizona, with a mm-hmm. recent poll, um, over 76% of our voters believe abortion to be legal. So even when he's arguing that oh, wow. these type of uh, decisions should be brought down onto the state level, what we saw this year and what we have been seeing in our state legislature, the Republican majority continually pushes for abortion bans and abortion restrictions in our state when clearly our people here have spoken that they are in favor of having access to abortion care. It's a fundamental right on both the state and federal levels. And our government are just, they're responsible for protecting our human rights. Mm -hmm. And what's really important is that all people, regardless of which state or city they live in, that they have access, um, that they can access their basic legal right to health care. And the government should not be interfering in this. And what language in the Constitution do you think best exemplifies why reproductive autonomy is actually a constitutional right, that it is a right on the federal level, as you say? Well, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't speak to the exact legal definitions of constitutional rights. But what I can Mm -hmm. say is that every person deserves access to the full scope of reproductive health services. And this includes abortion care. So the right to make our Mm -hmm. own decisions about what is best for us and our bodies and our families should be made without political interference. It is a human right that we should all be guaranteed and deserve to to access and exercise. Yeah, I agree. I think that 
the decisions have been made along the lines of privacy, that there's a constitutional right to privacy and decision-making because this is such a personal realm. And I think for me, that's where the connection is to autonomy because I think, you know, when we talk about privacy, what we're talking about is freedom from government interference, as you say, like this is just, these are matters the government should not be involved in. Yeah, with with any other healthcare decision, the public and the government is not involved. It only comes down to abortion care. And this is part of maternal health care. This is really a conversation between a pregnant person and their trusted Mm -hmm. provider or Mm -hmm. trusted midwife. This is not something the state legislature needs to create rules around and laws and restrictions because it's not a one size fits all type of ruling. In maternal health care, every pregnancy has a different outcome and there needs to be options available for people. What would you say in response to Ducey's statement that SCOTUS was engaging in, quote, creating policy when it decided Roe? What the Supreme Court's ruling in Roe really did was just help clarify our constitutional rights as they already existed in law. The ruling, the ruling like helped explain that people's basic right to privacy includes the right to bodily autonomy and therefore the right to decide to have an abortion. So instead of Ducey attacking our, our abortion rights here, what he should be doing is supporting policies that ensure all Arizonans have the resources they need to thrive in the healthy community. I mean, this legislative session, again, what we saw were the state legislature denied passing of bills that would actually support pregnant people and families. One example is just like granting pregnant women dental care on an access plan that was denied. So what we see the, the, our state government here does not truly care about supporting pregnant people and the well-being of pregnant people and their families. They are specifically just wanting to block abortion care. Right. And it's it's totally contradictory from the other supposed value, you know, conservative values that Ducey is supposed to have, because I think Ducey and also the conservative people of Arizona really value this idea of, of privacy and autonomy. And that's why I just can't wrap my head around how it's like the group of people who think that and then who also think that it's appropriate to be legislating about people's bodies. It's like a a perfect circle. You know, it's not a Venn diagram, like the Venn diagram is a circle. I mean, I guess Mm -hmm. it's just about the patriarchal aspect of our society that tells people with reproductive ability that they can be controlled just because of that fact. Exactly. Um, And it's when it fits their agenda, because we know that abortion Mm -hmm. bans, they're not only limited to harming pregnant people, they also harm people's partners, they harm the children, they harm mm. family members, they, they harm our entire community. I mean, the research shows that when someone is denied an abortion, they face serious negative physical and economic consequences. Forcing people to carry pregnancies. Yeah. 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 When you force a person to carry an, a pregnancy, Regardless of what their choice is around that pregnancy, it just will continue a cycle of poverty for people. And it's important for our lawmakers to understand this. Having children is expensive. And if our communities are already struggling economically and physically, and we don't have the resources Mm -hmm. to thrive, to raise kids in safe environments, we should not be forcing people to continue pregnancies. Right. That's that's actually what drives the other contradiction that drives me crazy about this whole thing is There's such an effort to prevent abortions. And then 
there's actually a total dismantling of the welfare state if there ever really was one in the U.S. And you were just bringing up that they're saying no, that pregnant women can't have access to dental care. That's horrific because everybody should have access to dental care, but especially people who are undergoing such an important critical you know, physical change. And it's so frustrating. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, we don't have any state laws right now that actually support pregnant people in postpartum care, you know, Mm. like that is a crucial aspect too of being pregnant. Like there is a before period, there is a during a birth and an after, and our government Mm -hmm. just really Mm -hmm. forgets that and starts to strip away. I mean, what we see across the country are also welfare caps. You're only allowed support for, you know, X amount of children, but yet we're going to force people to continue pregnancies. I mean, it's just not a balanced system when we are not prioritizing policies that first support existing families and the conditions in those communities, we should not be, the government should not be concerned about whether or not they are going to restrict access to abortion care. Yeah. And I think this is also why reproductive justice is a really critical frame, because this is this issue is about more than just the right to abortion. Like what we're bringing up now is actually how difficult it is to raise a child in the U.S. Mm -hmm. if you're poor and the right. I don't know. Or I guess. Yeah. I mean, the right in their framing, I think, really misleads the public in terms of their imaginary of who exactly is getting abortions, because as you're saying, it really does these anti-abortion laws really do harm entire family units, especially just considering that the majority of people who get abortions actually already have children. And so it's like, it's, I don't know, you know, I think there's like this, yeah. there's like this, uh, this like very sexist image of like a, of like a young promiscuous teen who's just like getting 10 abortions, like having unprotected sex. And it's like, the reality is that pe- the people who need to access abortion are uh, people who already have children and are trying to make the best decision for their children and their families and themselves. Exactly. So our organization runs a statewide abortion fund and we provide financial assistance to people who need support with paying for an abortion procedure, but also but also there's a lot of additional back like background expenses that come into play when they need to access care, such as like transportation or lodging or childcare support. Mm. And, you know, the reason that those, those are needs is because we have so many restrictions in the state. And yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. And the, the landscape of our abortion care in the state, like most of the clinics are concentrated in Phoenix. And so okay, yeah. you have rural communities really struggling to even access care. Um, here in Arizona, we actually have two counties with no maternal health care. Oh my goodness. If if our state is already lacking support oh, cool. for yeah, for just maternal health care in general, I mean people are struggling as it is pregnant whether they want that pregnancy or not. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you're creating all these additional restrictions, there's so many expenses that come into play, but what we see with the callers that we help is over 70% of our callers already have a child. And so Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you brought up, like you know, the economic conditions that we are currently living in, but also the communities that have been existing in these poverty conditions um, and have been oppressed, you know, they they have not had access to care for longer. You know, even though that row is 
is law and on the books, that does not guarantee like access for people. Mm -hmm. And that's so important to understand. But yeah, so people are already parents and we do need to move away from this image of stigmatizing who is the type of person who access abortion care. Because at the end of the day, birth control is not free and easily accessible. And also birth control is not like 100% guaranteed to work. We do see a number of people who have been on birth control and are, you know, doing what they can do to take protective measures, but a pregnancy can still occur. And these people Mm -hmm. should not be forced to go through with that where the outcome is like a lifelong outcome that is going to require that person to be present. And then also just like, let's analyze the type of systems we have in place for children who do go into adoption or into the systems, you know, they are not adequately supported either. It's it's a lot of issues at play. And I think just Mm -hmm. with Arizona too, like the number of social injustices we have here A lot of people don't want to bring children into this world because of, you know, family separation regarding your your uh, citizenship status here in our state. Um, We are we are like number five in the country for police brutality um, and police shootings. Like our Mm -hmm. communities Mm -hmm. are not safe. They are not. They're not communities that people are thriving in. And Mm -hmm. so why, and our public education, we continually see the tax on our public education system here. So, you know, children are not even able to access adequate education. So there's just so many issues at play. This is not the concern we should be focused on here in our state. Yeah, before I go on, I do want to clarify. Also, I really don't care if the teenager who's having promiscuous sex having a ton of abortions, I think, they should have access to it too. I was just trying to clarify that factually <laughs> the, the majority of people who are getting abortions are mothers just because I do think that's important yes. to put out there. You know, I mean, these days facts really don't matter as we saw with Trump, we're in post fact land, but I'm trying to get us to uh, right. the place where we do care about facts. <laughs> okay. So yeah, just wanted to clarify that because I don't, I'm, I think part of the stigma, the like stopping the stigma yes. is also yeah. stopping the stigma around sex itself. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that because we are a state where we really push abstinence only in education. You know, we make it so hard mm. for young people to get comprehensive sex positive education and the awareness of like what their options are when they need support right. and mentioning young people like our state has restrictions already around young people who need to access abortion care. We have here in Arizona what's called the judicial bypass system. And for any minor, you must have parental consent or go through a court process oh, to essentially. No. Yeah, if you're a minor, I mean, this right. is so twisted, like you go through a court process to essentially prove that you're mature enough to have an abortion, whereas the other outcome would be to have a child when you are a child yourself. When you're too immature. Yeah. Wow. That the logic of that is shocking. Yes. So can you, so um, in April, Ducey signed a very awful sweeping anti-abortion bill that medical professionals themselves were saying was medically unsound. 
Can you explain what that bill does? Yes. Um, this year, we saw 12 anti-abortion bills try to move through our state legislature, and SB 1457 was one that passed. We were not successful in blocking this, but it creates all kinds of medically unnecessary restrictions on abortion. It essentially will criminalize doctors who provide abortions because of uh, fetal genetic abnormalities. It prohibits state funding from going Mm -hmm. to organizations that provide abortion care, which I want to point out has not happened before anyways, and then forbids state universities from providing abortion Mm -hmm. care education and training, among other restrictions. But what this will do is it will just create additional barriers for people for their care. And it's it's really targeted at the provider. Um, You know, they are the ones who will receive the most severe consequences. Mm -hmm. They will get jail time. They will be fined. They will lose their license. It's an attempt to to scare people from thinking like, oh, I can't access abortion care. And then also, you know, our state has some of the most restrictive laws here in this country. And so these just add more harm to the communities Mm -hmm. of color, LGBTQ people, low income people, and the people living in rural areas, because those are the folks who already have a hard time accessing healthcare as it is. So, you know, with a pregnancy, normally you're not going to receive these type of diagnosis until about 20 weeks when you do your anatomy scan. Sometimes you can get them sooner through a blood test. But Arizona has a gestational restriction limit of 24 weeks to Mm -hmm. access abortion care here. And 20 weeks is already pushing into the second um, trimester and a procedure will be more complex. It will be more expensive. It will be harder to access. And so when you put these type of bans into place, um, you know, folks are going to be waiting for a while to even find out if this is something that's impacting their pregnancy. And then their options are going to be completely shut down here in our state. And it will be even harder for them. If they're already struggling to access care here in our state, it's going to be harder for them to be able to travel out of state to access the care that they need. Right. This is an example of how these restrictions just disproportionately burden people who are poor because as you say right now, these, and living in rural areas in particular, because as you say, the clinics were concentrated and are concentrated in Phoenix. And if you live far away from that, then the procedure of getting an abortion not only involves, you know, getting yourself there and um, taking care of yourself afterwards, but it's how it's figuring out transportation, lodging, childcare while you're, for while you're away. Yes. Yes. And, and I think, and I know that some, there's like waiting periods sometimes that are instituted and that can also increase lodging costs. Yeah. Here in Arizona, we have a 24 hour mandated waiting period. And when you are coming from a rural area, you are looking at about a two or three day journey essentially. And then what our organization does is we support people covering the cost of a hotel. We help offset the cost of childcare if that is needed. Sometimes we're arranging physical rides for people because they don't have reliable Mm -hmm. transportation to get from a rural town Mm -hmm. to Arizona, or excuse me, to Phoenix. You need to eat, you need to pay for medication. Like there's all these other expenses and people just do not have 
this savings set aside specifically for these type of emergency situations. Right. Um, it, well, most Americans don't just like don't really have an emergency fund. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We, we are living in conditions where the majority of people do not have an extra $500 set aside. And that 500 is just like the base price of your medication for an early abortion. Wow. Yes. Here in your, Even if you have health insurance? Yes. Health insurance in Arizona does not cover abortion care. It is, a rest, it is one of our restrictions. The private insurance should cover in case of a danger, a life endangerment for the pregnant person. But we rarely see it. It's a hard process to get them to approve that. So people are paying out of pocket. And that's why our, our, what? I have to pay for my own abortions here. <laughs> I need it here. <laughs> oh my yes. <God. laughs> yeah. Uh. So when we make this, when you hear people make this argument that people use it as a form of birth control, I mean, yes, it is a, is a, it is a form of birth control. I will say that because it's, it's clearly stopping a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. However, it is so expensive. Like this is not the route people really want to be taking. Yeah. Like no. you're spending like five or $600 as a base start. And then if you have to travel, you're, you're going to be adding more expenses. So it's, it's not like this, you know, I'm all for as, as many abortions as somebody wants, but it's also at the same time, not this like, this is my my first go-to, you know, because it's expensive. Like people just don't really have the resources to be dishing out for that all the time, you know? I mean, people choosing this is actually indicative of the failure of the distribution of all the other types of birth control that are not, that are more preventative. Yes, but also birth control isn't like 100% secure. And I think right, this right, is also right. where we need to, as you mentioned, work around destigmatizing sex and sexual shame because like you have those people who think yeah, of sex for right. just creation, you know, for creating kids. And that's not the reality for, yeah. for everyone living, you know? And so that's right. That's not, yeah, no. And, and not we the case for the majority of people. <laughs> right. We should work towards a sex positive viewpoint, but also like, even if you are in a type of, committed relationship or, or whatnot, you know, like these things can still happen and you can still choose to not want to have children. And that should be your right. choice. Like it, it, it really is, should. I am a single parent. I have two kids. Like kids are a major responsibility and mm-hmm. it's not during COVID. Yeah. Oh it's not something we should take lightly because continuing a pregnancy and having a child is not the easier outcome as we see oh. the Republicans really push. Putting a child up for adoption is not the easier outcome. Like you are literally asking mm-hmm. a person to go through a, a physical trauma. Like birth is a physical trauma on our bodies and it requires support. It requires resources. It requires Mm -hmm. recovery time. And we do not live in a country that supports that. We do not live in a country that Mm -hmm. prioritizes parenting and what they need to feel supported in the workplace. You know, the amount of time a person needs to recover after birth, we're expecting people to return to work six weeks or less, you know, because like they, they must, because like they Mm -hmm. need the money. Mm -hmm. And so until we can change these kind of policies that truly make our state a family-centered state where parents will feel supported, where people will know that, oh, if I choose to have a child, I will have these resources available to help support me. Until that's in place, right. we cannot be expecting people to just have children as if that's the easier option. Because what ends up happening is the children will suffer. The children end up being uh, the collateral damage to these kind of restrictions where 
you know, there's just not resources in place to support them. Or we will see like more children go into the system because those pregnancies were not wanted in the first place. And so we have to think of that bigger picture. It's, you right. know, it's, it's a really complex and it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. The thought of being forced to complete a pregnancy because you had sex, like, it's just, it's very medieval to me. I don't know. It feels like very dark ages. It feels very backwards. Yes. It's, it's a public shaming and Mm -hmm. it actually Mm -hmm. is also it really like dehumanizes the pregnant person and what they're going through because pregnant people are the most, they're some of the most vulnerable people during a pregnancy and for for it to feel like you have no say in what is happening to you or your body and what you're going through is horrible. That is traumatizing in itself. And that's not even mentioning the, the racist and traumatic medical care a person might receive the Mm. more stigmatizing during, you know, any medical appointments because of their, their social status or because of their, their single status or their Mm. age, you know, we need Mm. to move away from, from shaming people for these kind of outcomes and just being a supportive, compassionate community that helps people access the resources that they want rather than restricting them and shaming them for that. Right. I think that's so important. Uh, Bill confers civil rights to a, quote, fetus at any stage. Why is this so dangerous? This language just promotes anti-abortion rhetoric and misinformation about abortion. So these kind of bills have nothing to do with actual healthcare best practices. We always see the medical community speak out against any kind of bill around this realm of the, you know, personhood for fetuses. And politicians just should not be ignoring the expertise of healthcare pro- providers. Like, I think in our state legislature, we might have two doctors right now who are elected officials, but the majority are clearly making healthcare decisions when they don't have medical backgrounds, when they don't have that lens of providing care to pregnant people. And also just our government should not be making decisions around personal health care choices. But every pregnancy is different. And sometimes there's unexpected outcomes in a pregnancy and options need to be available for people. I, <laughs> I'm just I'm laughing because I'm like, first of all, like we don't even like for, you know, full fledged adults and like fully human children that are like alive don't have the right to healthcare. We, we don't have Medicare for all. So it's astonishing to me that we're like transferring civil right. rights to a fetus. And it's like, well, you know what, fetus, you're not going to get that many. So you're not going to get that many rights. Like, <laughs> and <laughs> like, and, and it's like, what, and what does it mean to confer civil rights to the fetus? Like, does that mean that like a pregnant person can vote twice? Like, <laughs> Yeah, there there was this great there was this great TikTok out there um, around this where if if that's going to happen, what about I think in the TikTok they're like, well, is a pregnant person going to get child support? Is is there going to be punishment for any child abuse? You know, like how do we define laws now 
impacting this this ball of cells essentially you know like and it also reduces then again it dehumanizes the pregnant person they become they become second they essentially become non-existent Mm -hmm. their rights to become like a vessel yeah their rights you're not a human but a vessel exactly and then you don't have any rights but you are the living human like that just is very backwards and twisted Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, that, or I don't know if you mentioned this specifically, but we meant, you mentioned how expensive the abortion-inducing drugs are, but the bill also bans mailing those drugs, right? Yes, but that um, restriction already existed. Yeah. Oh, in a, uh, <laughs> I'm really like abortion is restricted in the state. And I know, and that's what's, you know, that's what's very confusing, I think, for the public, because, you know, the bill names things that were already in place to some extent. Mm. And so in 2011, HB 2416 reclassified the abortion pill as a surgical abortion and prohibited telemedicine for abortion pills. So that that's already mm. that's already a restriction. And we see the consequences that has for rural communities. Those are the communities right. that are and that usually are forced to continue a pregnancy outcome when they would rather choose not to, only because they cannot even yeah. get out of their town, perhaps to drive to Phoenix or to another clinic out of state. And if we did make abortion medication accessible through mail, through telehealth conference and consultation, we would be able to, to expand that access to, to healthcare for these communities that are severely struggling and don't mm-hmm. have the economic resources to continue raising more children. And so, yeah, this already existed, but it did get named again in the bill. Why, why is it that something's not named again? I mean, is, it, is that just indicative of how much this is about political opportunism? I, I, I can't really speak to why it gets named again, but also I want to point out, like, you know, it prohibits state funding from going to organizations that provide abortion care. I mean, when you, there was, you know, the education community did speak out because we do have a lot of programs here for the universities where medical students, yeah, they specifically come to Arizona and the as part of their training or part of the curriculum. And so then you have all these complications around the state funding for the universities. I was wondering about that. You know, I'm not sure how that works because that's not my realm. But in terms of like our organization, we have never received funding for abortion care. Like the state does not pay for people's abortions. And I think the public is very confused about that because you hear that argument of like, I don't want my tax dollars to be paying for someone's abortion care. Well, Mm. it never has been. So I mean, this is just something people have Mm. been forced to pay out of pocket in our state. Insurance won't even cover it. And so that concern does not exist. But I think when they bring up this language again, it confuses the public and makes people think like, oh, this was happening. Mm. Oh, mailing abortion pills is not safe all of a sudden, but it's like it was never being mailed in the first place. So, you know, it's banned here and it has been since 2011. So Right. I think it's really a way to just really further confuse around the safety of abortion and around the legalities and what's really already happening and how restrictive we already are and what's actually accessible. Mm-hmm. So are there places where people can have a telehealth appointment and then get their drugs mailed to them? There are other states that do allow telemedicine for abortion 
And, you know, thinking of COVID and the pandemic, we saw... Right. <laughs> this is a good practice that we should be really practicing yes. right now when we're trying to stop in-person yes. contact. Yeah, exactly. We saw states actually expand access to telemedicine for abortion medication. And what we saw here on the state level is just we saw clinics have to shut down. I mean, during the height of the pandemic, you know, people were afraid to travel, you know, all these things came Mm. into play, you know, you're worried about your personal health. Mm. Is it safe for me to go to a clinic where there's more people, the clinics Mm. were very overwhelmed, because we only have a handful of clinics, we have nine now in Arizona, um, but not all offer full services. And uh, what we saw where people were trying to delay their care to see like, how will COVID be this week? You know, is it going to be a better week for me to go to the clinic? So if we were to have allowed telehealth or at least consultations, I mean, when you think of even the consultation, then you have that 24 hour waiting period in between, Right. You're asking you stay at a hotel and then again increase your COVID risk. Right. Like you're asking a person from Yuma, for example, right. um, to travel just to speak to the provider about the risks of abortion. And then they have to say all these mandated um, you know, counseling uh rhetoric about like essentially trying to by by state, they're required to to kind of paint abortion as like this awful thing and like here's your other options. And so this is the man, the uh, consultation you have along with the ultrasound, but mm. you can do, oh, you can God. do this virtually. And so if like we were to even allow just that on a virtual level, not even the medication, just the consultation, that would be supporting much, you know, supporting people in rural communities so much more than making them have to travel just for this like in-person conversation and then also be waiting 24 hours in a hotel for the next day or two, depending on how long their procedure will be. But yeah, we saw other states open it up. And it is extremely unfortunate that our state was just like tightening their restrictions around that. Mm-hmm. It's very, very disappointing. Are you worried about... SCOTUS ruling on reproductive justice issues given Amy Coney Barrett's nomination? I'm absolutely worried. It is, it's like where we anticipated this, but also at the same time, like the fact that it's reality is also very alarming because I'm seeing Arizona just get worse and worse. I mean, we have another legislative cycle before our, our state elections and if they were pushing 12 anti-choice bills this session, what are they going to push next? Also, we, mm. you know, we're waiting for a governor mm. transition. And if we get another Republican, our restrictions are going to continue getting worse. And so I am absolutely concerned because Roe v. Wade is not a guarantee. Like it's just it, even though that that's in place, like it still does not make it accessible. There are still so many people that it has been as if it has not been legal for those folks because they've never been able to access that kind of care. Um, And so, you know, the legal right to abortion doesn't mean anything if people can't afford an abortion um, and if they can't get near an abortion clinic or provider and if there's continual stigmatization and criminalization for choosing abortion. I am concerned about the state of, of Arizona, but also the country because there are um, at least, I hope I'm getting this number correct, I'm failing right now, but I think there are at least 20 states with trigger bans. 
where depending on whatever happens on the SCOTUS level, these states might kick in, you know, banning abortion. And we're seeing it with Texas already. You, you think you called it a trigger law? A, yeah, a trigger ban. So because the viability right now is set at, at the Rose standard, if depending on the ruling of right. this Mississippi case, there are some laws that are already like waiting on the books or if the viability gets, wow. you know, the um, gestational period gets reduced, then they would kick into effect. And what there's a lot of states that have a six week ban and then clearly they're ruled unconstitutional, but we're seeing it with Texas already. Their six week ban will go into effect in September and it's going to be a mess. We have, we're creating a giant gap in our country of where people will be able to access abortion care. And not everybody has the resources to travel out of state for their care. And we're going to see just communities suffer even more than what they're already experiencing economically and just in general well-being. Like, this is a really scary time to think of this. And it just blows my mind that like this, you know, the opposition, the Republicans, whatever you want to call them. They just don't see the trickle effect of these type of consequences mm-hmm. of what is what's going to happen to like the people in our country. Right. I, I So I'm stuck on how 76% of Arizonans think that abortion is a right that people should have and that reproductive autonomy is a right that people should have. So why is it that people like Ducey do actually end up getting elected? I mean, is it that there's a mismatch between the general population and the people that turn out to vote? Or like, what's what's the story there? I think with that number, you know, you have your percentage of people who are just dedicated to a party, for example. And then okay. you have a percentage of people who might like want abortion to be legal, but then they have all these personal restrictions on like who can access it and your gestational or why. You know, I don't do this type of polling, so I can't really speak more on why this might occur. Um, but we, what we do know is that we have seen a large majority of people who can vote in our state who are in agreement with abortion care and who do believe it needs to be legal and accessible. And I think the bigger picture here is like, why is our state legislature ignoring this? Why are they continuing to push bills? Nobody right. asked them for more abortion restrictions. And yet, you know, the whole state was asking for like COVID relief and for better public education. And this was their focus, this legislative session. And it's extremely just harmful. And it's mm. it's really um, disheartening because I'm really concerned about the next legislative session coming up. You know, we don't know what to expect. But we have to go through one more before we can hopefully vote a lot of these people out and, you know, get it back to a state of body that will be listening to the majority in our state. Right. What are what kind of things are you worried about them introducing for this next session? Well, depending on the SCOTUS ruling, mm. we can Do we have a trigger ban. There is a law, it was enacted in 1901. Yeah, it's a pre-row ban. Um, So it has never been removed and it technically is there, but it would have to like be brought back up through the legislature. It wouldn't be like a trigger ban and go into immediate effect should like Roe v. Wade be. It's it's not going to be overturned. It will be severely eroded. What they are, I think what the plan is, is to start to 
clearly chip out, chip away at it, but keep it intact as if they are following precedent, you know, and, um, but the goal is to, to really erode the restrictions and to make it extremely harder. And we are seeing the states and governors like really take advantage of this moment and really try to push for the most extreme. And so what I am concerned with is depending on whatever happens on the SCOTUS level, we will have a type of gestational limitation be introduced next session because right now we're at 24 weeks gestation. And so if the courts mm-hmm. are ruling mm-hmm. at 15 week or less, you know, we might see Arizona try to push for something like that. Mm. And is that is that the number of weeks that, that is in the Alabama law that is at issue? Yes, the 15 weeks was ruled unconstitutional and We'll see what happens there. But the fact that they're even considering this case is alarming and it should be a concern yeah. for everyone because mm-hmm. um, there's there's not many great outcomes that could come from this. But also it's it's kind of announcing to the states like, oh, we're, ri- we're willing to change our viewpoints on this. It's not as mm-hmm. solid as we all thought it was. But, uh, but again, like even though Roe exists, like it has not been accessible for so many people in this country. So that is not like our saving grace. What needs to happen is we need to increase accessibility and make it affordable for folks to make it truly a legal right and a human right for people. But I, I do think we need more protections around whatever this outcome is, because Many people thought Roe v. Wade was like that threshold, you know, and that level of protection, but clearly it's not. And so we will see what happens. Well, it always started out as a balancing test. It was never like, this is a unfiltered right that nobody can impede. Right. It, it started off as balancing the, the year of personal autonomy versus quote unquote state interests. Mm-hmm. But I just hate that Amy Coney Barrett got nominated <laughs> because I just feel like we should now we should get. So especially with the science now, I think we can, well, the science was, but wasn't the science out there back then too, that it's like abortion isn't dangerous, that there isn't really a state interest in preventing abortion under the guise of protecting maternal health because abortion has long been safe and has only gotten safer. Yes. Um, you know, and I, I think, again, this is where there's a lack of education with the community. We, the anti-abortion side really pushes harmful rhetoric and narratives and really causes a lot of fear around it. And it's not even like medically accurate and mis- it's misinformation that they're spreading. So when our communities know like healthcare is a safe option, that abortion care can be a safe option. More people die trying to give birth than they have, you know, like, yeah, when you think of that, we have a high maternal mortality rate in this country. Especially for Black women. Yes, they are four times more likely to die than their white counterparts. So let's correct, let's fix, (laughs) let's talk about that. Yeah, let's fix those issues. Like what's happening there that this country still cannot solve the maternal mortality rate, you know? The richest country in the world. Yeah, the country that supposedly we have like access to the best resources and healthcare for people that clearly is is not true and is severely lacking. But like until... You know, let's let's focus on those issues rather than argue if like the abortion pill is safe or not, because we have seen it be safe and effective. And we do know this is a secure option for people. And we know this is a safe option for people to do at home. Like mm-hmm. we should be able to help support people to access the health care that they need at an affordable cost, one that is a low risk 
to their safety and well-being, as opposed to then, you know, forcing people to give birth where there are more, they have a higher chance of having a severe complication or death from that kind of outcome. It's actually very dark when you think about it, that you would be forced to complete a pregnancy as, as, especially as a Black woman, when even engaging in that is, puts you four times more at risk than the white counterparts. Yeah. And I mean, we also need to analyze, like, again, this just really fits an agenda because we see the state support for sterilization of, of oh, people, wow. yes. of, people that. Yeah, of, of inmates, of, of whatever population they feel they, they can force a sterilization on. It's undesirable. It's really, yeah. Yeah. So it's okay for them to do that when it's on their agenda. And yet they also don't want to allow us to access abortion care when we are choosing that or need it. And so our country has a very twisted history of controlling the reproductive autonomy of every person. Mm. And SB 1457 was specifically around the genetic abnormalities and includes like conversation around the disability community and, you know, just not acknowledging that, you know, they really painted this picture of like, oh, we're protecting disabled people or people, you know, but then when you're actually a living disabled person in our society, you, you don't have protections. You are not treated well. You right. actually have your autonomy stripped away from you in many cases. And so right. it's, right. it's just a very twisted agenda. And it, they're really great at wording it in a way to convince the public of like, oh, what we're doing is to like protect and save lives. But then in the background, we're forcing sterilization on, on all the black and brown people. Like we don't want to be producing. Yeah. We're so yeah. it's, there's a lot of issues that the bigger thing is reproductive justice and ensuring that everyone has bodily autonomy and access to the type of healthcare that they want, regardless of the systems that they're in. Like just because they are in prison does not mean right. that now their reproductive autonomy should be stripped away and that they are experiments for the state. Horrific that our, our country is doing this to people. Right. And to just to, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up, to really zero in on Arizona's troubled history. You mentioned there was a 1901 law in Arizona. Is Arizona unique in that respect? Like, were there a lot of other anti-abortion laws at the turn of the century? I would have to get back to you on that. I'm not really sure what existed in other states. I'm just surprised because abortion, like, it becoming an issue is like kind of a contemporary thing, you know, like the Catholic Church was okay with that as long as it happened by, you know, uh, before quickening, whatever that term was. And so it's just kind of, it's like, wow, hmm. is Arizona uniquely anti-abortion or like particularly anti-abortion? Well, so we used to before, you would have to do probably some more research on this. But what I do know is, um, you know, when Janet Napolitano was our governor, there was actually, you know, less less abortion restrictions in, at play in our local government. Right. We had more clinics in rural communities. And then once they left office and we we had a string of just Republican governors, a lot of bills started to hit early 2000s. We had so many paths that forced clinics to close. We had all these uh, trap laws, which were really just targeting clinics. And it wasn't around safety. It wasn't around patient safety. It was more of like, 
your hallways have to be this many inches wide, or you have to have an extra bathroom in this room, you know, just trying to make these financial burdens on clinics that already struggle to keep their doors open. And so, you know, now there are penalties if they don't comply. So a lot of clinics forced, were forced to shut down. Uh, we used to have a clinic in Yuma. We used to have a clinic in Prescott. We had more clinics here in the Valley, but clinics are not these money-making machines, you know, to keep up with these costs. They're trying to do their best to afford healthcare at a low cost, but right. also when your insurance isn't covering it, it, it's a big burden for people to pay. And so we did see a string of laws targeting mm-hmm. clinics that ended up shutting them down. You know, we saw more restrictions on this waiting period and the telemedicine ban. And so I think it really was an opportunity for a lot of this to kind of happen in the background without the public really knowing. And, and most people who come to our organization for support and services, they share, like, I had no idea these restrictions were in place. Like the community is not aware that like, hey, actually, if you do want to access an abortion, you're going to have to travel like three days and you're going to have to like find childcare and, and all this stuff. And so it becomes very problematic when like our communities aren't even aware of like what is actually happening. And this is why it, it's so important to be involved with our legislative sessions here in Arizona, we have the request to or the right to speak system, the request to speak system, mm-hmm. um, and not every state gets this. And so this is an opportunity for, you, you don't even have to be a registered voter. This is an opportunity for anybody in our state to be active in the outcome of bills and to weigh in their public comment mm-hmm. um, and to really track and see what's happening because a lot of this snuck through because our elected officials weren't being held accountable. And we did our best this session to really hold them accountable and to really point out like, hey, you are ignoring the major issues Mm. that are occurring right now in our state around COVID and education. And you're focusing on an area that nobody asked you to focus on. But the more we have people speaking out on these kind of issues and really tracking them, hopefully the better outcomes we will have, or at least like next election cycle, people will be aware of the type of elected officials that did vote against our best interests. So there's there's many things people can do, but I think it really has been a state of a lot of this just got passed without people really knowing what was going on. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I knew that there were some anti-abortion efforts at play happening this past legislative session, but I didn't know there were 12 anti-choice bills and the and all all the details of them. So I definitely appreciate that recommendation and also encourage the Cachimbonas to stay involved in Arizona politics that they live here or in the politics of their state around reproductive justice because our reproductive rights are under attack. Yes, and it's gonna get more intense with the social movements growing and more people protesting and being outspoken. What we're gonna see is really the opposition really tighten their reins and we're seeing it. All these voter restriction bills that you know came out, um, they're doing everything they can to take away our, our power and right. our voice. And it's so crucial to stay active and involved. Right. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I've had you here for an hour and those are all the questions that I wanted to ask. Is there anything that we didn't get to touch on that you wanted to to discuss? Well, just if anyone needs an abortion, you can always look up the Abortion Fund of Arizona. (laughs) We're here to support you. Um, Pro-Choice Arizona does advocacy work and education, especially in the rural communities. Um, And right now we do have a campaign that launched in four counties around SB 1457 to bring educational awareness to 
rural communities that usually suffer the most when it comes to accessing healthcare. But thank you so much, Yvette. This was a pleasure to be on the podcast. I appreciate the invitation. I'm really excited that your audience gets to learn about all these topics that you cover through your podcast. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. And I hope to have you back on the podcast again soon. Yes, I would love that. Thank you so much. Enjoy. You too. Bye.